Good morning. It's uh, great to be able to gather together and look at God's Word. Um, just to highlight to you that the reason I'm having to do this by video today is that the parish household has been in COVID isolation again. So I'm sorry not to be with you for those of you at the depot. Uh, for those of you online, then I guess it's no different, is it really? So anyway, good to good to be able to connect with you guys in whatever way this morning. And uh, we're carrying on our series where we've been picking up looking through uh, this book called Gentle and Lowly. And it kind of helps us to examine the, the heart of Jesus a little bit more. So today I want to ask you that question, first of all, is what makes you happy? What is it that kind of brings you that real sense of joy in life? That sense where, oh, if I'm doing that, then I just feel so happy. Maybe it's getting involved in a sport and, and doing something like that, winning at sports. Maybe that's what makes you happy. Uh, maybe it's the idea of going out on a, a nice walk with a family member or friends or, or having a great meal. Maybe it's just the thought of a, a Big Mac or a KFC that makes you most happy. There's whatever it is, there's, there's, a, there's something amazing, isn't there, about that feeling we get uh, when we have a real sense of happiness. It just, it's, it's wonderful, isn't it? A real peace and joy that comes over us. And if we want to get to know someone deeply, then it's really kind of important to find out what makes them happy, isn't it? If you've got a friend um, and you, you know, you've gone beyond an acquaintance, you've gone beyond just saying hello to them and you want to get to know them, um, or if you're entering into a relationship, you want to find out what makes the other person happy. Because part of a friendship, a two-way thing, is that you, you do things that you know is going to make them happy. You might suggest you go and do an activity together or go somewhere that you know is going to make them happy. Because that's part of what you enjoy, seeing that other person happy. Now, being a Christian is often described as something where we've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. That's how, how we would often describe being a Christian, is a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, and the question is that we often, we often focus, I think, as Christians on what Jesus has done for us, which is right and amazing. He's done some incredible things for us. Or we might even keep talking about things we want him to do for us. So we pray about stuff. Would you change this? Break through? Would you see this happen or that happen? Again, all really good things. But how much do we ever focus on what is Jesus really like as a, as a person? What, what's his character? What's his nature? What's his personality like? Maybe we don't ask that question enough. So today I'm just going to ask us, we're going to look at one question that we want to answer today. And that is, what makes Jesus happy? What makes him happy? What, what kind of things make him happy? Because if we're in a relationship with him, and it's a two-way relationship, we want to know what makes him happy. Because as Christians, we want to make him happy. That seems a reasonable thing, doesn't it? So we're going to pull Jesus for a chat, and we're going to try and find out an answer to that question. Now, as always, we need to turn to the Bible straight away to give us an insight into what Jesus is really like. Because we as Christians believe that the Bible is not just a book, uh, but it's actually written by humans, but inspired by God. So we believe that what is written in the Bible is there for our good. It helps us to grow in our relationship with God. It helps us to understand God, and it's his revealed word to us. So that's where we go to, first of all, to answer our question, what makes Jesus happy? So a good place to go is the first three, four books of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We call them the Gospels. They're kind of like biographies of Jesus's life. And we find in there some of the words that Jesus said himself about what makes him happy. So, for example, in Mark 10, 
Jesus talks about how when people give up everything they have to follow him, that makes him happy. That sense where people realise and prioritise him as number one, it makes him happy. Um, In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about how if we're faithful with the small things that he gives us to do, that makes him happy. When we're people that we ask, we don't don't look for the glamorous stuff all the time or the things that look important or the, the roles or the tasks or the ways of serving him that will get us the most profile. No, when we just look for the small things and we're faithful with the small things, it makes, makes Jesus happy. Um, and how about in John 15, where he, Jesus says himself that when we as Christians love one another, that makes him happy. That's something that brings him pleasure and joy when he sees us loving one another, preferring each other, thinking the best of each other, looking to build each other up. That's something that makes him happy. But if we look later in the New Testament, in in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, uh, we find a verse there that gives us a little bit of a fuller picture to help us answer our question this morning. And it says this, it says, Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's just unpack that verse a little bit. What what that verse is saying is that Jesus, there's a moment where Jesus was, when he was alive on earth, was standing in one point and he could see ahead what was to come. He knew in the, in the next few days and weeks that he was going to be put to death on a cross. He was going to suffer the physical agony of death by crucifixion. He knew that in that moment he was also going to suffer spiritual agony when actually he became sin and he took on his shoulders all of the sinfulness of mankind. And he also knew that in that moment he was going to have social shame and and he was going to be rejected by his people, his nation. They were going to reject him and crucify him. And he knew that there was this big moment coming. But what that verse is saying is that there was a happiness on the other side of it that actually was his motivation to get him through. It got him through all of that agony was this this joy that he knew was going to come afterwards. Now, back in my younger years, I ran a half marathon. I ran the Great North Run uh, with my friend Pete. And I remember the whole way of doing that run. It wasn't fun. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, And every step I took, I think in my head, was just this ongoing loop of just stop, just walk, go back to the car. I think that's what was just going around in my head all the time. Why are you doing this? Just stop, walk, go back to the car. And, and part of the motivation for me of getting to the end was that I kept visualising the finish line. I kept thinking about the relief that I would feel once I got to the finish line. That, pl- that kind of satisfaction of knowing that I'd run the whole way, that I'd actually not given up, that I got there and that I got to the finish line. That was my motivation for, for getting through to the end. Now, that is not what this verse is talking about at all. Okay, It's not like that at all for Jesus. The joy that was the other side of the cross for him wasn't a relief that it would all be over. It was something totally different. It was about the joy of seeing what he had accomplished start to have an effect in people's life. Jesus wasn't just thinking the joy the other side of the cross is just the relief that it will get done. It's actually that there was he was going to start seeing the fruit of what he had accomplished start to transform and change lives he knew that once he had accomplished the defeating death defeating sin and rising again he knew that that was going to transform 
millions and millions of people's lives. And that was the joy that he had set before him. In the, in the book, Dane Ortland says like this, he says, it was the joyous anticipation of seeing his people made invincibly clean that sent him through his arrest, death, burial and resurrection. I love that phrase. It was the joyous anticipation of seeing his people made invincibly clean. Invincibly clean, that's brilliant, isn't it? That's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And it was the joy of knowing that was going to transform millions of people's lives. See people's sin forgiven and see them restored back into relationship with God their Father. That was the joy that motivated him to get through the cross. And that one makes Jesus one of the, it makes him happier more than anything else in the universe when people embrace that and he sees the effect of that on their lives. Now it's important to note that this is, this is different from Jesus just accomplishing a task. It wasn't just job done for him. Going to the cross, it was the purpose. The Father asked him to go. He came to earth um, and like he, he said, well, that was my purpose. I've done the job. It was, it, it was kind of a thankless task, but I did it. No, no, no. It was a true joy for Jesus. It was a bit like when you have done something, think about something in your life when you've done something for someone else and it's made a real difference to their life. Something where you think, actually, what I've done has made a real difference. That brings a real sense of joy, doesn't it, to us? It brings a real sense of not just doing a job, but it's a pleasure. Um, I know that when in my work as a physio, then when I'm working with people that are in, you know, had nasty injuries, they're in severe pain, uh, they're quite, you know, restricted by their physical situation. I know that by helping them in sort of rehabilitation and, and giving them some reassurance and exercises and advice and trying to help kind of make their life better and help them to recover from that, that situation they're in. I know that when I go back a few weeks later and I can see that they're making progress, they're, they're getting stronger and in less pain and they're more mobile, that, that's a real sense of joy to me. It's not just, well, that's my job, that's, you know, that's what I had to do, I just did it. It's like, well, actually, that's, that's incredible that I've managed to have a small effect on their life, and, but they see a difference. And I know that's true for all of you, whether that's at home or at school or in your workplace or when you volunteer in places. When you do something for someone else and it makes a difference, that's a real joy, isn't it? A real joy. And that's what Jesus feels when he sees us enjoying and embracing all that he accomplished for us on the cross. Now, one question that comes into my mind is, uh, when, when we, in, in church circles, when, we, when someone becomes a Christian, when someone, when someone makes that decision, that first decision to say, right, I'm no longer just going to live myself, I'm now going to follow Jesus. I'm now going to ask him to forgive my sin and I'm now going to you know, become a Christian and follow him for all of my life. We know that there's a verse that talks about there's a great party in heaven when that takes place. Uh, almost like this great celebration in heaven when someone becomes a Christian. And one of my questions is, is this joy that Jesus had from what he accomplished on the cross, when he sees us embracing it, is it just a one-off? Kind of joy when someone becomes a Christian is that the moment he feels the most amount of joy um, and then you know the day after he starts to get excited about someone else becoming a Christian and we we just kind of fade away back into the background is that is that what it's like um, it reminds me a little bit of like kind of a, a child's birthday party you know what it's like when uh, or on a child's birthday everybody wants to be near the birthday girl or birthday boy 
they want to you know be sitting next to them at the dinner table they want to be the next to them when they're blowing the candles out they want to help them in all the games they want to be next they're the popular one for that day and then the next day in the playground they go back to being you know their usual self and and the popular kids go off to someone else don't they it's that kind of moment you have your moment of popularity and then you've gone and is that what it's like with Jesus that when we become a Christian he's like way really excited but then the next few days oh okay he's he's distracted and gone off to other people that have become Christians uh, you won't be surprised when I'm going to say that's not like it at all um, and I'm going to explain to you why from with the, from the Bible's example as to why Jesus has joy in us all the time not just in a one-off and if we look in Ephesians, a book later on in the New Testament, we can find out that it talks there. of When we become a Christian, actually it t- says that we become the body of Christ. We're joined to um, the body of believers. It says that's the church, the worldwide church is the body of believers called the body of Christ. So when we become a Christian, we become part of Jesus's body. And it goes on to say that he, Jesus, is the head of that body. So imagine a person, Jesus is the head, and all the Christians that have lived and ever will live, we're his body. We make up the body. So we're joined to him, inseparably joined to Jesus in that moment, which is incredible. But there is a big difference between the body and the head, isn't there? There's pretty different functions between my brain and the rest of my body. Because Jesus is the head of this body. So we're not just a number or convert. We're part of him. We're joined in him. And it's his joy to actually look after us. Because I don't know about you, but it's very rare that my elbow tells me it's time for bed. I need some rest. It's very rare that my big toe says, hungry, time to eat, eat and look after yourself. And I've never had it that my back tells me exercise time Ben my spine is telling me it's time to exercise it's not at all is it it's my head it's my brain that makes all those decisions it makes the decisions of how to look after myself how to be healthy Um, and that's exactly what it is in the Christian life as well that actually the head Jesus takes responsibility for the health of his body it says that in Ephesians 5 it says no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So Jesus doesn't just get excited when we become a Christian and then forget about us. He gets excited when we become a Christian and then we join in his body and then he sees it as his responsibility to look after us, to nourish us, to care us, to for us and to, to take care of us the whole time because we're now joined with him. He's joyful about us all the time. That's kind of incredible, isn't it? Dane Ortland in the book says, Jesus Christ is comforted when you draw from the riches of his atoning work because his own body is getting healed. He's saying there that when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I I just want you're you're the source of everything for me. You are because of what you did on the cross. I now can receive every good thing from you spiritually. You can feed me and nourish me and heal me and transform me and help me to become more like you. When we go to him for that, it brings him such joy because, because that's what he died for so that we would enter in to all of the good things that he's got for us. We make Jesus happy. To answer our question, we make Jesus happy when we go to him for all of our spiritual nourishment and life because that's what he died for. That was the joy that was set before him when he approached the cross. 
And he isn't drained or annoyed by that. He's not like irritated that when, oh no, not him again, coming to me for life and nourishment. It's his joy. We make him happy when we enter in to all that he won for us at the cross. So I just stop for a moment and just reflect and think for myself and think, that's brilliant. That sounds incredible. But I know for myself that I don't always go to Jesus for everything I need. I know this, you know, it's true that sometimes I just don't always live in the good of what he's done for me. I know that I'm not always making him happy because I'm not always going to him first and foremost. So I ask the question, what stops me from continually coming to Jesus for all that I need? Spiritual nourishment. So I just listed a few things that I think came to my mind. You might have a different list. You might come up with other things. I think pride and independence is an issue. You know, wanting to solve my own problems, wanting to do things my own way, thinking that I can look after myself. Thanks, Jesus. You're great. You are amazing. But yeah, I can solve this problem. I can sort that one. I can deal with that hurt. I can deal with that. We tend to think sometimes we can just do it ourselves. That stops me coming to Jesus. Pride and independence. Uh, disappointment and hurt can stop me coming to Jesus. You know, I've maybe gone before and, and I don't feel like he's given me the answer that I wanted or things haven't worked out in the way that I thought they should. And so I think, well, what's the point in going to him again? It didn't help last time. Now, that shows a fundamental mistake in my thinking because I don't know Jesus well enough. Because if I knew him well enough, I know that he would never let me down or disappoint me. Maybe things didn't work out as I thought, but that's not because he doesn't care. Um, we looked last week, didn't we, at the compassion of Jesus. That's why it's so important that we get to know him more. Because the more we know him, the less we'll make mistakes about his character. We'll know for sure that he could never let us down. Another one which I think stops us coming to Jesus is a big one. It's that we forget he is the head of the church, the head of his body. He's the one that brings all those things. I think sometimes what we can do is we can put other people in the place of Jesus. It might be other Christians or it might be other leaders that we look at and think, I'm looking to you to provide me with all the spiritual nourishment and care that I need as a Christian. And we can put other people on a pedestal and we can say, you're gifted, you're able, you're, you're in that position and I need you to do this for me. And then when those people don't, it makes us think, oh, you know, we get disappointed and upset. But the problem is we've put them in a place where Jesus should be. Yes, there's loads of gifted people in church. Yes, there's leaders. Yes, there's people that are doing different things. And that's all part of the health. But no one should ever take the place of the head. The head is a unique position, and that's Jesus. He's the ultimate source for all our spiritual nourishment. We mustn't go to other people when we should be going to Jesus first. And the other thing that stops me coming to Jesus all the time is just distractions of the world. Life, distractions, TVs, phones, sports, everything. Sometimes you're just so distracted that we don't come to Jesus. And how do we come to Jesus? You might be thinking, well, that's great, but how do I approach him? Well, it's not going to be anything radical, I'm going to tell you. We come to Jesus through prayer, through the Bible, through worship, and through the work of the Holy Spirit. Those things where we don't have to be in a special place, we don't have to be in a special mood, we don't have to have special music on, uh, we don't have had to have a particularly good day or, or whatever. Actually, we can just come to Jesus. We can come in prayer, through reading the Bible, we just can come to him and, 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 and meet with him. And that's the reality of knowing Jesus. So 
Let me just summarize what we've looked at this morning. We've had this one question we wanted to answer. What makes Jesus happy? If we can find out what makes him happy, then not only will we grow in our relationship with him because we're finding out more about him, but actually we can bring him joy. And what we summarized is, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world, quite incredibly gets his most joy and happiness when we are actually daily receiving and bathing in all of the accomplishments of his death, resurrection and ascension. When we step into the fact that we're now free from sin, that we're forgiven for our sin, that he can now we can grow in peace and joy and righteousness and all those gifts of the Spirit and fruits of the Spirit can all open to us to grow. When we throw ourselves into all of that, this new freedom, this new identity, when we throw ourselves into that, Jesus is so happy because he says, that's what I won for you on the cross. That's what it was all about. It wasn't just a, a thankless task I did. It was a, it was because of the joy of seeing you free and enjoying all of the benefits of my kingdom. That's what makes me happy. And that's incredible that we get to enjoy that. Imagine the spiritual health that we would enjoy as the body of Christ if we made it our goal to make Jesus happy. If we threw ourselves fully into him, imagine how healthy we would be and how happy he would be. Let's just pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing work of salvation. We thank you that it's not just a one-off moment, but it opens up to us a whole new way of living, that you transform us from the inside out, that you give us peace and joy and righteousness and holiness now and through into eternity beyond the grave. Lord, I just pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, come and just help us to grow more and more in our understanding and our appreciation of you. Help us to know you more so that we might be changed more and more. Pray this in your name. Amen.